Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Sport of Kings podcast. In this pod, we discuss the mandatory payout pick five at Belmont on Saturday, May 13th, 2023. This is show number 225, May 12th, 2023. Got Carson, founder of Sport of Kings, and I'm joined by my co-host, Hall of Fame handicapper, Chris Larmy. Chris, how did you do on Derby Weekend? Well, I kind of rested my hopes on Derma Sotokaki. And um, after the first half second of the race, I knew I was dead. He got left at the gate and uh, had no chance at all. So it was kind of disappointing because I had a few friends and family. And I told them, right, as the gate's open, I go, well, I hate to tell you this, but uh, he's not going to win. <laughs> so uh, Mage ran a good race, though. Uh, you know, he's got some talent and, uh, you know, once again, another one of the many myths around the Derby have been shattered. You, you don't have to have a big foundation as a two-year-old to win the Derby. We've had two winners without any two-year-old races in, I think, the last five years. So I think that one's out the window, just like just about everything else about modern day racing is so different than it used to be. So Hopefully we won't hear that next year, but if we do, that just adds to the price. The other thing that uh, the other uh, fallacy that was blown away was that the horse had to run a final eighth in its previous in its prep for the Derby in under 13 seconds. He was fat, uh, slower than 13 seconds in the Florida Derby, and that's why I tossed him. It's one of the reasons I tossed him, and uh, now I can't use that. <laughs> I can't use that anymore. Well, yeah, and definitely, you know, raw fractional times aren't very useful in general. So, you know, first of all, you probably well, I mean, I it, I was using time form adjusted okay. fractions. So, so, but a lot of people use just the raw fractions, and you know, that's just silly. Um, you know, one track can be wildly different than another. And, um, you know, especially like Oakland, they finish downhill on their final fractions every year. They're fast. And every year I tell people, well, they're not as fast as they seem because Oakland, you know, they have a, a supposedly a downhill finish. But whatever reason, you know, their final fractions are always fast. So you got to be careful of that. Plus, it's all about how the horse got to that last eighth of a mile. I mean, Mage got left at the gate, made a giant middle move that was a little premature. And he kind of ran out of gas at the very end. Um, so to penalize him for that trip, you know, didn't make a lot of sense either. So anyway, it's easy to talk about all this stuff in hindsight, but I think the, the lesson to be learned is the worst thing to do is to listen to these people that spout out for these rules about what it takes to win the Derby. They're all nonsense. Ignore those things. They don't help you pick the winner. You know, you got to evaluate the horse on its merits and each one of those individual performances and all those rules are just pretty much worthless and more than more than that they're probably really misleading and they cause people to make bad decisions 
Play in the Sport of Kings NHC Qualifier starting every month. Each month, the top 50 players who are NHC Tour members advance to Round 2, which is Breeders' Cup weekend. In that final, 450 players will duke it out playing all 14 Breeders' Cup races. Two people will win a seat to the NHC, and the top 100 will get Tour points. Join the NHC Tour before any monthly Round 1 begins. If you join the Tour, you could win up to 20 seats to the NHC in free contests. For only 50 bucks, it's the best deal in racing. If you sign up for the tour, use promo code SPORTOFKINGS so we get credit. If you haven't signed up for our free contest with free DRFPPs, go to sportofkings.net right now. Thank you and good luck. And we have a special returning guest. He's the Timeform U.S. analyst for Daily Racing Forum. He's the respected morning line odds maker for Naira. He's David Aragona. David, great to have you back. Yeah, thanks for having me back on the podcast. Uh, as you know, I'm a fan of the podcast. I try to listen whenever I can uh, to both of your opinions. So uh, it's always great to get to chat with you guys. And uh, and we're fans of your podcast. I listen to it usually on the drive to my girlfriend's after I do the pod and compare notes uh, if, if you've done the same sequence as we have. I did have a question for you, David. You do so much handicapping. You do the morning line odds. You do video previews for DRF. You do a podcast. Where do you find the time? <laughs> it's funny, uh, especially like those uh, Wednesday through Friday sequence of days. It's just like you're trying to get all the work done as quickly as possible and get the information out. And you know, sometimes like having to actually do the writing or, you know, put the opinions into words is the hard part because you want to focus so much on, you know, doing the work of watching the replays and forming the opinions in the first place. Uh, but uh I enjoy it. I mean, I wouldn't be doing this kind of job if I didn't actually enjoy, uh, you know, putting those opinions together and getting them out there. Um, the difficult part could be actually remembering to play the races while you're trying to do all that stuff uh, in the meantime. Uh, you know, sometimes the, the betting can get in the way of everything else. Uh, but uh, no, I mean, I, I've over the years, I've kind of gotten a system down where, you know, I do the morning lines at a certain part of the day. I do the handicapping at a different part of the day, and it just sort of works itself out. But uh, it can get stressful at times. All right. Well, uh, well, we're glad you made time for this. Chris, do you have any questions for David? Well, I first, I want to thank David for coming over from the dark side regarding Triple Crown spacing. Um, it's, <laughs> for many years, a few of us have been, you know, getting abused and hated on horse racing Twitter for approaching the, you know, actually changing something about the tri Triple Crown. Although they don't realize it's changed many times in the past, it's it's not been like this since the start. So anyway, it was good to see another voice chime in, at least be willing to consider um, making some changes because. And it's sort of unfortunate. The Preakness to me is just really kind of devolved in recent years. I mean, I remember so many great Preaknesses where the the top horses, you know, from the Derby would, you know, throw it down in the Preakness, you know, like Affirmed and Aladar and Sunday Silence and Easy Goer and Curlin and Street Sense and Silver Charm and Captain Bodget and Freehouse, you know, just great races and you know, just thrilling races or the best horses were just taking each other on. And, you know, today, 
if those horses ran, we probably wouldn't see any of those rematches. It's just sad. So I just think something should be done. I, 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 I not saying the triple crown's broken, but I mean, I think it could be better and it should kind of adjust with the changing time. So it's just good to see other people like you that um, are kind of at least open to considering some change. Yeah, I mean, I echo a lot of those sentiments, and it's something that I've definitely evolved on in the past few years. And I mean, I saw somebody mention the other day that I mean, it makes sense. I hadn't really thought about it, but if Mage does indeed leave the starting gate in the Preakness, he'll be the first Derby winner to run back in the Preakness since Justify won the Triple Crown. And it's kind of crazy to think about. I mean, obviously there have been some unusual circumstances that have led to the Derby winner not running in the Preakness, and 2020 doesn't count in all of that. Uh, but like you said, I mean. We just have seen kind of connections de-emphasize the Preakness, and I think they've done it out of necessity because horses just aren't campaigned that way. And if you look at almost every other division in racing, the stake schedules from track to track have been massaged and adjusted to account for the way that horses are campaigned these days. You don't see multiple grade ones, three or in many cases, even four weeks apart anymore. They're spaced out so that horses can run in them as a series. And we're just not seeing horses run in the Triple Crown as a series anymore. I mean, I actually ran some numbers on it the other day just to sort of make sure that my perception wasn't out of line with the actual data. And I mean, you're seeing this steady decrease in horses actually participating in all three legs in the past few years. There just hasn't been any participation by any single horse in all three legs. And most of the trainers that have done so, that have actually gotten horses to run in three legs, are trainers like D. Wayne Lucas, who are throwback trainers, who, I mean, are still using methods of the past, but a lot of betters would consider them to maybe not uh, achieving the consistency of others with those old school methods. And I just think you're seeing things shift away from that kind of campaign. Uh, so the Triple Crown, I know people like to hold on to it as, uh, you know, this sort of tradition from the past and be able to make these comparisons to the modern thoroughbreds back to those of the 70s and 80s. But everything has to change at some point in this game. And I think people have to be a little more flexible with uh, entertaining changes to the Triple Crown to strengthen each of the individual races. Yeah, well. and complain, you know, complaining on Twitter doesn't really make, it's probably not going to change anything. But I do get a little bit of encouragement from I know that something similar was a complaints that we would have about the starting gate in the in the derby for years there were a small number of us that would just say this is the world's greatest race it deserves a starting gate that actually gives each horse a chance to win and we'd show videos of the start and how you know the rail was so difficult because of the way it was positioned and how post 14 horses would get hammered by horses ducking into that gap you know, between the gates and it, you know, it went on for a long time, but Churchill eventually actually got a new starting gate. And I'm not sure they ever would have done that if it wasn't for, you know, complaints and like from fans and racing Twitter and stuff. So I guess if we're persistent, maybe people will start to listen, but the triple crown's a pretty tough nut to crack with the people that are really conservative in the racing world. Yeah, and I guess it depends on who they're determining it works for and who it doesn't work for and uh, how the, the business around the Triple Crown is doing. I'm sure that's going to dictate all of those decisions. But as racing fans, we like to see the top horses match up against each other, the best possible fields assembled for these races. And I just think we're trending away from that. Uh, so uh, hopefully that's uh, considered. But like you said, that's, it's a, that's a heavy lift to change the Triple Crown. 
It is a heavy lift, but you know, <clears throat> four weeks spacing between each leg seems seems re- reasonable to me. Uh, I will I will I will uh, join you crossing from the dark side and say that yeah, it would be great. I was I was telling somebody that the Preakness is is like a forgettable race, and um, you know it's 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 terrible, but. But, you know, it really has become like I, I'm not doing anything special for the Preakness. I mean, I'm, I'm going to watch it on TV like while I'm doing other stuff. Uh, n- you know, I'm not going to the Preakness. I'm not having a party. I'm not meeting up with friends to watch the Preakness. It's just going to be, you know, just an interesting, an interesting card to watch on my own. Yeah, I feel that uh, it's it's definitely a race that's become easier to win. And uh, maybe some people think that's a good thing that the Derby winner uh, has such an easy task coming back in two weeks, not facing the strongest competition. Maybe that's going to give a better chance of more triple crowns happening in the future. I don't know if that's good or bad, uh, but uh, I, I kind of agree with that sentiment. OK, well, we we do have uh, the pick five at Belmont races four through eight to go over. And it's going to start with the fourth race. It's a starter allowance, a mile and a 16th on dirt, purse of 65,000 for three-year-olds and up. David, as our guest, we'd love to have you get started. Well, hopefully people are still listening after we tore apart the Triple Crown. I know there are some staunch defenders of the current Triple Crown schedule, uh, but uh, this is a really interesting sequence at Belmont, uh, this uh, middle pick five uh, with the mandatory payout. I think all of these races hold some intrigue. And uh, the horse that I landed on in this first leg, the starter allowance event, um, is one that I, I kind of struggled with and I was debating who to put on top. Um because I, I do think that there are multiple runners in here who have credentials to run well, but I ultimately went with the number five from another mother who has competed at this level a couple times recently. Uh, three back on January 7th, he was just in a race that completely melted down from a pace standpoint. It was dominated by deep closers. So that just didn't work for his running style. But I thought he rebounded nicely in his last couple of starts. And Last time out, he was beaten by Mandatory, who's back in this race and I think has to be considered the horse to beat. But watching that race from another mother was kind of outside and appeared like he was getting out all the way around the far turn. And they've come back now and made some changes. Uh, the biggest is that he's uh, getting new gelding for the first time. And uh, sometimes that can you know, help the horse's action and, and uh, hope if it makes him run straighter, that could help this horse out. But also he's getting to Belmont Park. And sometimes a horse that isn't cornering that well just does a lot better at Belmont Park with the more gradual turns. Uh, he's also switching back to Joel Rosario, who has some lighter hands on a horse like this and uh just can help them to maybe run a more complete race. And I think from another mother, he's run well at Belmont in the past, and this seems like the right kind of spot for him if he can work out the trip. So uh, I put him on top and am hoping to get somewhere around that morning line, seven to two price. From another mother, seven to two on the morning line. Chris, where are you at? Yeah, to me, this is a tough race to start it off um, because like David said, there's quite a few contenders and none are going to really be much of a price. So it's really hard to pick a, a winner, but also how, how you play in the pick five. This is kind of race I hate to start the sequence out with. Um, I like the way David's thinking about the five horse. Uh, I landed on the six horse bread man just because um, maybe mostly because of the price. I think he'll be a little higher than some of the other contenders, but 
also think he's probably the more likely to win. You know, one thing interesting about him, um, you know, that I think helps the price is he his last race wasn't very good. But if you look at his recent running um, in the last, you know, four or five months, his last two wins have both come off of bad efforts in the prior start. Um, his last win came off a, a pretty poor effort, and the win before that came off a poor effort. So the fact that, um, you know, his last race wasn't that great doesn't dissuade me from playing him. He seems maybe even more likely to run well off a bad race than a good one, but if not, at worst case, equally well. And his best races are probably good enough to win. So, and it's third start off a claim for Falcone, which is probably not bad either. So from a value perspective, I don't think he's great value at five to one, but maybe a little bit value there. And if he were to float up, he might even be playable as a win candidate. So uh, not with a lot of conviction, I'm going to go with the six horse bread man. I really struggled with this race. It, I, I bounced from horse to horse. I did land also on From Another Mother. Ran a small lifetime best figure two races ago in the mud. It wasn't a huge race, though, for him. It was only a, a small lifetime top, so it wasn't like a mud freakout. He was fast as a two-year-old and does have some upside, I think. Since his last race, he has been gelded, which could unleash his potential. And when he last raced at Belmont, he was second to Mo Donegal. So, so I also landed on From Another Mother, but I also feel like you got to use, and I, I, I hate to do it, and I might not be able to play the pick five for these reasons, but I'm interested in Colloquy, Lilbro Coop, and Mandatory, who uh, could get a good inside trip. Yeah, I mean, if I can jump in, uh, I, I agree. This is a really difficult race to sort of separate these runners, and I was kind of leading in Chris's direction, I and mean, I was kind of struggling between Breadman and From Another Mother when I was putting my picks together for this race. Um, just one comment I'll make about Breadman. Um, I don't know if people print their PPs early or if you're just using digital PPs, um, but do take note, there was a chart error in his last race. Um, he actually lost by four and three quarter lengths. I think it was, or four and a half lengths. It was initially listed as six and three quarter lengths. Uh, so uh, there was a slight error in the margin between the third and fourth runner. So that's going to alter the speed figures a little bit. I think it's already updated in uh, DRF. Uh, the 79 buyer is correct. Um, so just something to note with Breadman. Um, I, I was a little bothered that his two recent victories came against much, much cheaper company than this. Uh, but I agree. I mean, his overall form is pretty good. Um, and I was kind of stuck between those two. I don't want to totally discount Mandatory, who probably is supposed to be the favorite in this race, and maybe he's not going to be as strong a favorite as his recent speed figure suggests that he could be just because a low percentage jockey or Romero Mirage is riding him. But one thing I'll say about Romero Mirage is that he is not afraid to send a horse to the lead. And this is a horse that has plenty of speed. He's drawn the rail, and I'm going to expect that he's going to get a pretty decisive ride. And he gave this horse a really savvy ride last time when the rail was really not where you wanted to be on a April 20th, and he allowed a horse to cross in front of him and then go to the outside of that horse to make sure that he got to the outside path. And it almost worked out. He got involved in a photo finish and, and came out of the winning end, but got disqualified. Um, he's legitimate. Uh, I just, I wondered if he could take a little too much money, but then again, he, I made him a three to one in the line. Maybe that's fair odds on him. So uh, I, I was kind of going back and forth between the one, five and six, uh, but I agree. It's a tough way to start off the sequence. 
So have you seen any bias on the main track at Belmont in the first few days? Really, no. Um, you know, we've only had a few days of racing so far. And I mean, it's been pretty evenly split between dirt and turf racing. And uh, I've seen it be pretty fair. Horses winning on the lead, coming from off the pace. Um, so I have not seen uh, any significant biases um, like we did see towards the end of the aqueduct meet. But typically those are, are rarer to, to pop up at Belmont. Did you uh, have any other horses you were interested in, Chris? Uh, no, I, I mean, I agree with David. Mandatory is probably the horse to beat. It'll kind of depend on how the, the race unfolds. I mean, if he could get, um, you know, away with some softer early fractions, that will certainly help his his cause, I think. There are, there are some other speed in the race, but um, and he definitely is in good form. All right, we'll move on to the next race, which is the biggest race of the day at Belmont. It's the Man of War. A grade one mile and three eighths on the inner turf, purse of six hundred thousand for four year olds and up. Chris, why don't you get us started here? Yeah, these um turf routes, we like them because it all usually comes down to trips and they're usually pretty evenly matched. And we also have kind of recognized that the older route turf division in the US has been pretty weak. And that's kind of reflected in this, that red knight, you know, the nine-year-old is probably the best American horse. It'll be the favorite of the American horses. And you got another nine-year-old channel maker who will be a contender. Um, so, uh, you know, with that in mind, anytime Charlie Appleby brings a horse over, uh, you have to respect it. Um, this is a pretty good horse. It's not a, you know, clearly notches above these in class or anything but you just got to figure anything that he brings over is probably capable of winning and the one to beat um he's no secret anymore i mean a few years ago we talked about him on the pod and actually got some value on his horses before um he started you know winning everything but those days are long gone and um you know he's the one to beat Pro probably will be over bet and david has him at nine to five um, that, you know, he's probably going to get that bet down below that. So, you know, where do you go in this race with that in mind? Well, I'm going to kind of hope that there are some new shooters that are emerging in the older turf division. And I think there's a couple of candidates in here. I, I'm going to go with the four horse for stopping. You know, he, he beat red Knight last time. And I think you could argue he was better than red Knight. Um, you know, he, he was outside of Red Knight. Red Knight had a good trip. So I don't think it was a fluke that he won. And if you really get, you know, close to twice the price on him versus Red Knight, that would seem to be value. He does seem to be a horse as a four-year-old turf router, probably has a lot of upside. He's on the improve. He's really sharp. He never runs a bad race, uh, regardless of the surface or the distance. He, he just looks to me like the obvious play of the U.S. horses and maybe the only one in here that could offer some value. Um, although there's certainly a lot of other contenders, and I won't be surprised at all to hear that, you know, you and Scott and David both have a different horse. But I'm going to go with the four horse for stopping and, we're, you know, and acknowledge that the two horse Warren Point is a, probably a legit favorite, um, you know, and the one to beat. 
We're stopping coming off two big wins Two, uh, well, the, the second race, uh, two races ago was not a win, but it was his biggest buyer on the synthetic. And, uh, I, I was thinking he might be lower than six to one off the, that big, that smashing win in his last race. But, um, I will trust David's morning line. David, what do you got here? Yeah, I mean, first, I guess I'll comment on uh, the horse that Chris brought up first, Warren Point, who is kind of the, you know, the elephant in the room when you're handicapping this race, because Charlie Appleby, as you said, has had so much success with these runners. And I'll say Warren Point, he doesn't look quite as formidable as some others that have come over for these connections. And frankly, when I evaluate the European form, he looks like a weaker horse than Ottoman Fleet, who came over to win the Fort Marcy last weekend. So it's kind of interesting that this one is running in the grade one, whereas the other one ran in the grade three. Um, distance maybe has something to do with that. Uh, Warren Point just seems like he wants to go a little longer. And he also just could be a progressive horse. I mean, he's a, a four-year-old who seems like he's moving in the right direction. Um, I guess people are going to you know, be a... Uh, interested in him due to you know the recent results uh in uh in the middle east uh i will say i looked up the form of those races in bahrain and and cutter in the last two and i mean that amir trophy that he comes out of i mean it's attracted some nice horses in past years the the race that he's exiting though where he was second that was a really weak edition of the amir trophy i mean i looked up the form of some of the horses that were around him and they are they are not that good. Um, I will say when I watched the race, uh, Warren Point definitely had some trouble and probably should have won it. Uh, but I, I wonder if he's going to be a little overrated in this race. And like you said, I mean, the cat's out of the bag. These horses take a ton of money. Like you said, I won't be surprised when he's even money in this race. So I kind of wanted to keep an open mind to some others that could be better prices. Um, and I looked at those Elkhorn horses, but I ultimately decided to go away from the Elkhorn. And the number six, Soldier Rising, is where I land landed in here just felt like a horse that during his four-year-old season was just progressively getting better up until that point where he finished third in the grade one sword dancer last summer at Saratoga. He probably should have also placed in the Turk classic at uh, Belmont dead aqueduct when uh, he got stopped in the final eighth of a mile and was almost certainly going to finish second in that race, if not for that trouble. And, you know, some might downgrade him because he didn't show up in the red Smith to close out his season last year, but that was a race that was just a total merry-go-round. It was done dominated on the front end. I mean, he was taken so far back. Nobody coming from that far back made any impact on that race. And he actually was really picking up the pace at the end, but it's like he was running in a different race than everybody else that was successful there. Um, coming off the layoff, maybe not ideal. Sometimes these Christophe Clement runners need a race, but I think he could be a decent price in here. And I thought his overall form was stronger than some of the horses that had that recency coming out of the Elkhorn. Well, <clears throat> um, I like Soldier Rising. He, he's 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 my second pick, but uh, the horse I put on top. Uh, well, just as a uh, uh, an overview, it feels like some of these are going to react off of big efforts. So I do want some new faces, even though they are not that new faces. Um, one of the new faces is Soldier Rising, who's a five-year-old, so he's not a new face, but he's a new face. Uh, for the year and another new face recent face is strong tide who's second off a layoff he's got back numbers that would win this race these numbers 
were earned on dirt, but he's always been just as fast on turf before he uh, started running huge, uh, huge numbers at Oaklawn. And now he's second off a layoff. They ship in, you know, off a, a mediocre prep. But I, I don't know. I figure I, I think they they wouldn't be shipping here if he didn't have a good shot. And, you know, he, he ran a decent number when he shipped here last year to run in the two-mile, I think it was the Belmont Derby or the Bel- Belmont something, the, the two-mile race at Belmont. So so, uh, so strong tied for me with Soldier, Soldier Rising in second, and uh, I'll definitely use those two for sure. Yeah, I, I was seriously considering Soldier Rising. I just thought, um, yeah, coming off the layoff, I – Figured he he he's the one I'm going to want next time out, but he could easily be ready to fire. And if he does, or I wouldn't be surprised to see him win. Now, I was kind of thinking strong cut tied. There's three maker horses in here, you know, two of them that come from out of it, one from way out of it, and one from kind of mid pack. That you know he p- might just use stripe strong tied to make sure, not necessarily as a rabbit, but put him on the lead. Uh, make sure to keep horses like Channel Maker honest. Um, he, he's actually well, not a maker horse. He's a Michael Lauer horse. Oh, does he change barns? Okay. Uh, no, uh, no, he's always been with Michael Lauer. I wonder why I have him written down as maker. That's really weird. Okay, well then, scratch everything I just said. Um, <laughs> <laughs> ignore that comment completely. The only other horse I was looking at is the other new new face, and that's Howe Street. Um you know, he kind of was up close to what turned out to be a pretty fast pace last time in the Elkhorn. He got a little tired late. Um, they take the blinkers off this time. Uh, and so I'm thinking, you know, they probably will try to have him settle a little better. And, you know, he's got a lot of upside. Uh, he he certainly seems to have talent. And uh, who knows what the ceiling is on him. And he gets in light. So... Flavian Pratt's a good rider. So I was thinking Howe Street might be, um, you know, the right horse. You know, another one of these emerging horses. Maybe he's not quite ready to win a grade one. Maybe it's going to take a little more experience and in, in development. But who knows? He might he might be ready to step up tomorrow. I just have uh, a couple more comments to make on this race. Um, you know, touching upon some of those Elkhorn horses, I mean, for me, there's one big negative with Howe Street, and that's his trainer, Jorge Abreu, who has a lot of good horses in his barn, um, is kind of a shocking statistic that I found in Formulator. He is zero for 56 in graded stakes races um, and hasn't even had that much success hitting the board. It's kind of, despite having a lot of talent in his barn, he has just had this dearth of success in graded stakes events and how street if he won this race would be his first ever graded stakes winner um i just found that very surprising when i looked it up um you know and that that elkhorn like you were kind of alluding to it featured a really honest pace that came apart and you know the raw fractions might not look that fast but i like to use craig's time form us pace figures and all the fractions are color coded in red and when you watch the race it definitely had that total pace collapse feel to it so i mean i do want to be forgiving of the effort of channel maker who uh you know we're kind of dismissing in this race as one of the old timers but i mean channel maker can still pop up with a good effort every now and then i mean i think for 
for the third year in a row last fall. He was the best uh, American-trained male finisher in the Breeders' Cup turf. So, I mean, he's just still keeps hanging around and delivering honest efforts. And uh, I could see him working out the right kind of trip in this race, stalking strong tide, and maybe it won't be as quick up, going as quick up front as it was last time in that Elkhorn. So, you know, just given the fact that I don't think this man of war came up quite as strong as it could have, or as we've seen in past years, I'm not going to put it past Channel Maker to maybe uh, just bring a minor upset at a price. I have to agree on Channel Maker. He he's the my third use in this race. He ran a he ran he's been running some seriously fast uh, early pace figures, and in the last race he ran very fast early, very fast pace figures, and even though the time form pace projector has Verstappen as the leader. Um, he's he's really never been on the lead early, and Channelmaker has, and I think he's actually going to take the lead in this race. And you know he's he's second off a layoff, a brief layoff. He could easily pop one of his big numbers, so I would absolutely use him at six to one. Okay, we'll move on to the sixth race. It's the Peter Pan, a Grade Three mile and eighth on dirt. First of 200,000 for three-year-olds. David, what do you got? Well, I think that there's a legitimate favorite in this race in the number nine, Bishop's Bay. And, you know, I'm not going to pick a horse like this because I think there's just not value here. I mean, he's, you know, he, he's expected to be a good horse. He's going to get bet like he's a good horse. And I think he is a really good horse. I, I just don't see um, him adding any value to this pick five sequence, even though I expect him to run well. Um, you know, he obviously beat a very talented rival on debut when uh, he, he uh, held off first mission, who was going to be one of the favorites in the Preakness next week. And um, he had some adversity to overcome last time. So I think Bishop's Bay is legitimate, uh, but I just wanted to search through this field and find somebody else that I thought would offer better value. And I was kind of keying in on the two Todd Pletcher trainees, and I ended up getting pretty intrigued by the number six, Go Soldier Go. Um, He's kind of a, a wild card in this field, uh, coming in from Dubai, first time in the Pletcher barn. Uh, but he, he strikes me as a horse that might be a little better than the Maydan form would indicate, because when you go back and watch those races, he is a deep, deep closer. And that running style often is not preferred over that Maydan dirt track, um, making these big runs from far back, running through kickback, which can be pretty intense there, is often not the way to go. And uh, he just keeps relentlessly closing at the ends of his races. I was especially impressed with that victory in the Albastakia two back. And um, I don't know what he was beating there. The quality of competition is a big question mark. Um, but I mean, he had a lot of ground to make up in that race and just was relentlessly finishing to get up on the wire. And I don't want to be too hard on him for losing the UAE Derby. That was just kind of a merry-go-round race where nobody could close and, and the Japanese horses got forward and they kind of maintained their positions throughout. And those also might have been some very good horses he was facing, maybe better than what's in here. And uh, Go Soldier Go, first time for the Pletcher Barn, feels like one that is prepping for the Belmont stake. So maybe they're not getting his optimum effort today, but I feel like he's going to be a, a fair enough price in here. And we'll see how the pace develops, but I know he's going to be finishing at the end. Uh, so I landed on Go Soldier Go. Go Soldier Go, <clears throat> five for six in the money. Chris, where are you at? Yeah, I kind of like that that horse some, and but I do agree it does seem like 
lot of the times trainers use this as a prep for the the Belmont. O oftentimes, some horses that come out of this race do well in that race. So I wouldn't be at all surprised to see this more as a prep. Um, and if he's finishing up well, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Bel him Belmont bound after the race. Um, but I landed on a different horse, um, although I do. You know, I wouldn't talk anyone out of playing Go Soldier Gold. I'm just a little afraid because of the connections he may get bet, but we'll see. David David knows how to make the morning line better than I do, but um, uh, that makes me a little bit nervous in terms of price. Um, I went with the one Arcangelo. Uh, to me, now, it, if you watch the, all this horse's races, the first two starts, he, he had quite a bit of trouble uh, in both of those. Um, so. He didn't win either one. He ran second in his debut, and then he finished fourth, beaten two and three quarters by Kings Barnes. But he did not have great trips in those. And then his last, I thought he looked really good. Um, just very impressive in that race. I think there's a lot of talent there. Uh, his breeding, Arrogate, out of a Tappet mare, um, you know, says that he can handle longer distances. He has a really sharp workout since then. Javier Castellanos, you know, on a derby high now, and he's been riding better this year than he, he, he was kind of, had kind of fallen off for a while there, but he seems to be making a comeback. Um, just a lot to like. If this horse was being trained by uh, Brad Cox or Todd Pletcher, it'd probably be half the price. So from a talent perspective, maybe Bishop's Bay has more talent but you know, I'm gonna I'll roll the dice with this one. Um, hopefully, get that double-digit odds at, at ten to one or higher. So I'm gonna go with the one Archangelo. Well, I have a question for you guys because um, I haven't <clears throat> I haven't been on Twitter, and that is uh, is Slip Mahoney. To, have they indicated where he might run here in, at Monmouth? I've been looking for that information. Um, the last I saw in uh, Dave Gretting's article, he said that uh, Brad Cox was still undetermined about where he was going to run Slip Mahoney. Uh, it, it would seem like the Long Branch at Monmouth is a much easier spot for him. So I'm I'm kind of expecting him to scratch from this race, uh, but uh, that has not been announced as far as I've seen yet. Okay, well, uh, I will take Slip Mahoney, uh, even though he may not run in here. He had excuses in his last two. He ran in the mud two back, and then he got bumped hard in his last. I think if he returns to his effort three back, he'll be tough to beat, and he should relish you know the mile and eighth uh, based on his breeding. Um, I was not very creative here. I sort of I can see the case with Archangelo. I can see the case with Go Soldier Go. Um, I sort of, I guess I'm just going to land on the favorite Bishop's Bay. Uh, he looks very fast. <clears throat> you know, he's like first mission. He ran really fast sprinting. Then he, then he ran a good race going two turns the first time. His breeding should not be, uh, should not be a problem going a mile and an eighth. Um, I, I, I'm going to go with Slip Mahoney. And if, if he scratches, then I guess I'm left with Bishop's Bay got to got to go skinny at least in somewhere in this sequence 
Yeah, I think Archangelo is a very interesting horse. And, uh, you know, everything that Chris said about him, I agree with. Uh, he was really impressive last time, and he did have that trouble, especially uh, two back. Um, you know, th that last race is one that I had talked about quite a bit with Craig because it was one of those many days at Gulfstream where there were only a handful of dirt races. I think there were only maybe three dirt races on the card. So it was a really tough day to make a speed figure because I think this race was early in the day the other dirt races later and hard to compare them. This race came back almost unbelievably fast. Um, I think the 84 buyer is kind of broken out from the other dirt races. Craig gave it a 118 time formula speed figure, which makes Archangelo by far the fastest horse in this race, actually been faster than the number that Bishop's Bay got on debut. And, you know, the Runbacks have kind of been mixed as to whether the buyer's right or or Craig's number is right. It's hard to know. I mean, the thing about Archangelo that's kind of hard for me to factor in is that this horse has this, he's the best bred horse in this race by Arrogate. The female family, I mean, you mentioned Tappet, but the damn side, um, it's that better than honor family. I mean, that's produced rags to riches and Jazzle and tons of other stakes winners. I mean, this is the kind of pedigree where a horse is supposed to sell for like a million dollars. I mean, this is the kind of horse that you would see show up in the Bob Baffert stable as one of the most expensive horses in his crop. And he sold at auction for $35,000. And even after that smashing victory last time, it's the kind horse that I would have expected to show up in the barn of Brad Cox or Todd Pletcher, having been privately purchased after that last race. But maybe they turned down offers. I don't know. But um, it's just it seems like maybe this is a horse with some physical issues that uh, he's uh, he's with these low profile connections. That's just something that's kind of playing in the back of my mind. But there's no doubt about it that his last race might have been really strong. Um you know, the one other horse I'll mention is the other Todd Pletcher horse that I was kind of trying to decide between him and Go Soldier Go, Go and that's Classic Catch, who um, I thought was just a little too far back in the Wood Memorial and was really hitting his best stride at the end of that race. Uh, probably not a spot where you wanted to be closing from as far back as he was. He feels like another horse that might be better off in the Belmont Stakes, just given the way that uh, he wants to run all day. And I think Todd Pletcher is probably, you know, thinking that for both of his horses, that this could be a prep for the Belmont. Um, with Irad Ortiz, I would imagine that he's going to take a lot more money than Go Soldier Go. So that's kind of how I was thinking about it from a price standpoint. Um, but uh, I, I was kind of interested in both of those horses. Chris, did you have any uh, further opinion uh, besides Archangelo? No, I pretty much go soldier go was the only other one I, from a value perspective that I was interested in, you know, those two. Okay, we'll move then to the seventh race, which is not the highlight of the sequence. It is a maiden claiming race. A mile and a sixteenth on turf, purse of forty-five thousand for three-year-old and up New York breads. And Chris, it's your turn to get us started. Yeah, this is um, if you play horizontals at Belmont this summer, almost every time you're going to have one of these maiden claiming state-bred turf races with full fields that are seemingly impossible to um, handicap. So. You, you know, this is something you're stuck with or an opportunity to me and how you look at it. Every almost any pick five or pick four you're going to play, no matter where it is on the card. Certainly the late pick five, they usually end with a race like this. And and now we've got this one here. So I, you know, 
to me, this is a race that's kind of an obvious spread race to people. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, I'm going to try to take some opportunities on our on this podcast and uh, to our, on our Sport of Kings podcast to talk a little bit about some of the things that come up in my other podcast that I that the bet with the best podcast where we really talk more about you know how you bet not handicap we're not handicapping races or picking winners we're just talking about how in general you approach the betting side. And, you know, one of the things that have come up is, you know, what do you deal with? How do you deal with these kinds of spread races where let's say you're like most, I think, in this race, their opinion, this race, I mean, it's wide open. You know, it's the kind that any of them could win or there's a whole bunch that could win. The favorite doesn't really look that much better than the rest of the horses. Um, You know, how do you approach that from a betting perspective, if that's your opinion of a race? Um, You know, you could just pass it, right? But if you're playing a pick five, you know, do you and you like some of the other legs, you might want to play the pick five. So how do you deal with this? Well, first of all, you know, in the win pool, if your opinion is there's just about anybody could win, then if you're going to bet to win, you obviously don't want to be playing the favorites. Um, because if your opinion is they really don't have that much better of a chance to win than the long shots, why would you play the horse at five to two? when you can play a horse at 15 to one or 20 to one. So it's pretty obvious that you, if you're going to bet to win, you got to avoid the chalk. Um, but the same people that will are, you know, will approach the wind pool that way, you know, they would never bet all in the wind pool They're They might not hesitate to play all in say the pick five in this race. And that's probably what most people are going to do with this race. They're going to spread. Now they might not play all because they can't afford to play all based on the budget. So some of them are maybe only going to play eight horses or six horses or five horses, but most people will be spreading. And so what that means, there's two things. One is um, if you want to get some separation from everybody else, you might want to think about not spreading in this race and just taking a shot at one or two horses in here. Cause if you can get through the leg, most people have burned, you know, 80% of their play in this leg already, even the ones that survive and, you know, you will not. Um, so that's one way to get some value. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is that um, the usage for the horses will be much different in the pick five than it is in the wind pool. And by that, and this came up in a couple of the podcasts we talked about. Anybody wants more information, if you're interested in this kind of stuff, our episode four with Inside the Pylons, I have it timestamped where we talk about, um, you know, ver- horizontals and picks. You know, the usage of the horses will be a lot different in that, like, say your mission in this race is five to two, and he goes off at, say, two to one or five to two in the wind pool. He's probably going to be higher than that in the pick five because many people will be spreading. So they're going to be including a lot of other horses other than your mission on their tickets. Whereas if they were to bet to win, they probably, and they bet on your mission, that's probably the only horse they would play in the race. And so the favorites aren't going to be as short in the, in the horizontals and the long shots, you know, kind of the inverse aren't going to be as long a horse that's 20 to one in the wind pool but you know will probably be shorter than that and won't probably won't be that different in terms of usage than the favorite so 
you know, you don't get the same value from the long shots as you think you can. So just keep that in mind. Probably the way to play it in the horizontals is to try to get skinny. And you, you, you're not even going to get hurt if you get skinny and just play the favorite or play the favorite another horse or something. So keep in mind that the usage of the horse can be quite different depending on the sequence and horizontals than it is in the wind pool. So I'm sorry for that side ramble, but um, I just thought that's, we usually get good feedback and we talk about bet structure. And so I'm gonna try to bring some of that in when something shows up like this um, in our races we talk about. So since I spent so much time on that, in terms of my pick, I'll be really quick. Uh, I like, for a win bet, I like the 10 horse war prints. I'm always looking for upside in these kind of races. He's had three starts. This will be the second off the layoff. His debut was routing on the turf. And I think he's kind of bred to route on the turf. His last start, I think, was strictly a prep. It was a sprint. It was supposed to be on the turf. It got taken off. They ran him anyway, probably just to get the prep in him. Now they stretch him back out, routing on the turf. Atris is pretty good, second off a layoff. And, um, you know, I think this horse is meant to be a turf router and should improve. Second star is a three-year-old, second off a layoff. Now, this is where you can see a big jump forward. So, for me, I'm not saying he's the only one that could win it, but he's one of the horses, I think, it, that can outrun its odds and, and probably has about as good a chance to win as most of the others. So, I'm going to go with the 10. And Scott probably fell asleep, so I'm going to have to wake him up. Um, <laughs> uh, what, uh, hello? Hello? What? What? Uh, oh, hey. Um, yeah, I was, I was actually on mute, and I was saying Warprint's trying to improve off his 37 debut buyer. That was as a two-year-old, so he's clearly going to – he's likely to improve off of that. David, what are you looking at? Well, I mean, I, I appreciate uh, everything that Chris said about uh, the the information that you can glean from listening to the Bet with the Bed Best podcast. I've uh, I, I've tried to make it through as much as possible. I've listened to a few of the episodes in full, and I found them to be extremely uh, valuable and informative. And I mean, aside from all of that knowledge that you're gaining about how to bet on the races, I really enjoy the stories that your different guests have told about their experiences and their origins and the game. And uh, um, I mean, for both of those reasons, they're great listens. So I just wanted to kind of um, applaud what you're doing there and uh, and say, uh, you know, push everybody who's listening to this to also check out that podcast if you haven't already. Um, and, you know, what you say about how to approach these legs where everyone is going to spread, I think is a great thing to keep in the back of your mind. Um, you know, cause these, these races do tend to play a little differently based on how the sequence uh, stacks up as a, as a whole, because everyone who's attacking the sequence is going to probably, you know, go into that same funnel doing it in a similar way. You do always have to weigh that though, against your actual opinions in the race. And, you know, while maybe you're going to get slightly better prices on a few of the favorites, I have to weigh that against the fact that I really don't like the favorites in this race. I, I think that they're they're terrible bets. Um, you know, your mission, who I th is going to take money, um, having run some nice turf speed figures with Irad Ortiz, this is the kind of horse that I say you know, looks good on numbers, looks terrible on video. I just don't like his any of his turf races. He's just one-paced. Um, he's been short prices before, just has no kick at the end. Uh, so I'm... 
I'm against him. I don't like the uh, the Pletcher horse Miracle Mike, who um, I guess he could handle the turf. I don't know. His 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 debut was okay, and then he's kind of fallen apart. He could take money just because of the connections, um, you know. And then Silent Running, another horse that could take some money in this race. Again, another horse with good turf speed figures. On replay, I'm just not loving those races. So, I mean, I'm I'm kind of against a lot of the favorites here, and I'm not viewing them as that much more likely to win than anybody else. So, even if they're three to one as opposed to five to two, I don't really care about that. I mean, I want other horses in this race. Um, so, this is a kind of a difficult situation because. I think there are two really interesting horses at gigantic prices, and they're not the kind of horses that I would advise anybody who's trying to hit this pick five sequence just go all in on. There are probably better win bets. Um, but then again, um, since I'm so negative on the favorites, maybe that's the right strategy to just kind of lean on the huge prices. Um, anyway, I'm supposed to mention just one horse, so I'll leave with one. Um, my top pick in this race would be the number six Academy Choice, uh, who... I get it. Did no running in his debut in an off the turf race in the slop at Aqueduct. But, you know, I, I weigh pedigree when I'm assessing a horse's potential turf aptitude. And this horse has a nice pedigree uh, being by Oscar performance, who's had good initial success as a turf sire. And the dam has had, you know, an array of progeny that have handled different surfaces. One of them is Morrison, who was a confirmed turf horse, a really nice turf horse. Um, so the pedigree is there for Academy Choice. But I also like to look at these horses physically and watch the replays. And, you know, having done this for a long time, you can kind of get a sense over time watching the horse's action of whether or not they're going to transfer that form to the turf just based on the way that they move and this horse to me is just screaming turf in his action and i don't know how good he is that's the question i mean it's hard to gauge quality of these horses when they're switching surfaces i'm sure that academy choice is a turf horse how good a turf horse he is i think remains to be seen but he's going to be a big price in this race for a trader that i think is underrated and uh, a jockey that's probably also a little bit underrated so um i he's going to be my top pick in this race and there's another I want to talk about, but I'll, I'll let you guys go first. Okay. Well, the, the horse that I landed on, <clears throat> I, I, I am a little worried about your mission uh, based on the numbers, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to toss him based on David's recommendation. Uh, and he has failed as the favorite a few times. Uh, the horse that I'm interested in, I'm particularly interested in is the one waffler it's trained by David Donk, who can hit with a first-time turfer. This is a gelding by Temple City who can get turfers, and he's a half to his turf stakes winner. He shows a 48-3 gate work and a recent 48-4 gate work, gets an inside post. Trainer has had three first-time starters for this owner and one with one of them at 20 to 1. Um, I think if this horse is 12 to 1, it's uh it's a it's a it's a great play, including on the win end. So you went with the first or Scott. Um, yeah, I just couldn't, I don't, uh, I didn't see the wins on the turf with first time starters for David Donk, but I don't remember. I don't, I didn't write the numbers down, but I think I looked to see what his record was. It wasn't very good with turf horses, but I, uh, I didn't write it. No, that was just first time, uh, first time starter with the owner. And those were all dirt races, but uh, first time started turf route. He's two for 18 with a 158 ROI. Okay, that's not too bad. Um, yeah, I like 
just to clarify one thing about what so what uh, what I said about the pick five, that was if your opinion is it's a spread race, right, David? So if you hate the favor, that's a whole different opinion. But um, you know, if you think it's just a spread race where they're all about the same, but if you you're just really against the favorite, that's a that's a different opinion, and certainly you want to play that differently. Um, and I kind of like the same horse. There are two that I thought were after war prints that were definitely ones that I might include. And I'm not afraid to lean on them in the pick five because this is where you could blow the pick five open. Um, you know, Academy Choice is one. The other was the 12 Fast Study that um, is another one making its turf debut that, you know, I think has some speed. They take the blinkers off. The post is kind of tough. Uh, you know, so given the rider and the post, I'm a little worried. The trainer hasn't got a good record first time turf, uh, but they, you know, there there are some reasons to think he might be able to reverse his form, or, or you know, or improve form going from dirt to turf. And um, you know, just by watching him run, like David said, the breeding doesn't scream turf, but accelerate was a turf horse. So. You know, he's been running cheap. He's got some speed. They take the blinkers off. They switch surfaces. A lot of changes. That's sometimes, and plus he was gelded. So, you know, in these kind of races where you're going to see dramatic reversal in form is a lot of times when there's some change. And this horse has a lot, you know, being gelded, changing surfaces. Um, you know, that, that's a lot. And blinkers off. Second time Lasix. And the fact that he does have some speed, you know, is always a good thing in any kind of race. So that was the other one, you know, could be a big gigantic price that I thought was interesting. Just a little correction that Accelerate was not a turf horse. He never ran on it, but there was another horse in California. I, I forget what his name was. Very close to that, like Acceleration. Accelerator. Accelerator, I think, or something. Yeah, I believe. Yeah. I believe you're thinking of Acclimate. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's who. That yeah. He was a he was a nice. He was a, a stamina. I mean, he loved a mile and an eighth. I mean, a, a mile and a half. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad that you brought up Fast Study, Chris, because that's that's the other horse that I was alluding to uh, that's getting on turf for the first time. That is, as you said, going to be a big price. Who I think is interesting, and yeah, ex accelerate probably not the best turf influence. But there's hidden turf pedigree on the dam side. When you look up the dam's record, uh, I don't think she ever won on the turf, Rico's posse. Um, she did once, actually. But if you look through her entire set of past performances, the four best speed figures that she ever ran in her career, at least as far as the buyers go, were all on the turf. I mean, she's basically a turf omnifig in terms of her own PPs. Um, so it's kind of crazy looking at her past performances that the connections never kind of fully appreciated that she was a turf horse. Um, and her production hasn't been like overly turfy. Uh, but as you said, I mean, this horse doesn't give me as many turf vibes watching it as Academy Choice does. Um, but I did like the horse's debut a little bit when back when it was with James Ryerson. Um, I thought that the horse ran, you know, a sneaky good race that day. And I was kind of disappointed that it never developed after that, uh, claimed away. Um, but maybe getting on the turf is going to wake it up. And I like 
I like Katie Davis as a rider. I do want to mention one more horse, just in case there's a scratch in this race. It would be important to note if the number 13, Mama Band Me, got in, because this horse's turf races are both a little better than they look. Um, you know, no speed at all, but was really finishing last time against a much better field than this. I think it's just dropping to a realistic level. I, I don't think this is the toughest maiden 40 that we've ever seen. So um, I would definitely want to take note and use that horse if it got into the race. Thomas Morley, always scary on the turf. Yeah, I second that on Mama Band Me. And I actually, there's another in the AE that's deeper down. But this is the kind of race where maybe some of them were entered hoping it comes off the turf and maybe there'll be some scratches. And I, I thought the 15 Cambolito was really interesting in that um, it's, you know, first, it, it had never done, it never really raised a hoof on the dirt. But in its turf debut, I thought it ran pretty good. It, despite a really wide trip, um, you know, to me, it showed, it kind of woke up on the turf and those are the kind where maybe second time turf, it might really surprise and it'll be, you know, an astronomical price if it somehow draws in. So Cambolito was another, you know, monster. And this is the kind of race that can produce a winner like that. Ooh-wee, this is, <laughs> this could be a good one could be a nice price. And um, I, I really like Waffler, though. I mean, I, I do have to say uh, it, the, the horse checks off every button, uh, every, every box for me. And, um, you know, it's got workouts, breeding, a trainer that can win, uh, first-time turf. And um, uh, he's got a good post position, too. If he's going to beat They're any field, waffling. it's this. Yeah, 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 my one waffle. problem with Waffler, not to dwell too much on this race, um, was that it's debuting for a tag because the, the pedigree says that this horse is one that, you know, you might want to give a shot to in a maiden special weight race, just being the half to that really good horse, Maximova. Um, so I, I was a little bothered by that, but no, you're completely right about the pedigree. Okay, we'll move to the last race of the sequence. It's the eighth. It's an allowance, six furlongs on the inner turf. Purse of 80000 for three-year-olds and up New York Reds. And David, your turn to go. So this is a, another race that's not that easy. Uh, there, I think their contention runs really deep in here. Uh, there are some short prices that uh, I'm not so fond of. Uh, the number six, Hey Mac, it's Drac, would be one that I'm kind of against in here at uh, you know a, a price that could be favored. I don't know. I mean, he does have Irad Ortiz aboard, and those horses all seem to take a lot of money. Um, you know, I there are some that I'd want to use that are logical, but I did put a, a price horse on top that I've just kind of married to playing in this race. Um, I've been waiting for this horse uh, in this kind of spot, so I kind of have to highlight it and just hope it works out. And that's the number eight, Cam Duke, who uh, was on the turf once before. And in your PPs, it's not going to look like much because the horse, you know, ducked into the start and lost his rider. Um, but that's a replay that's worth going back to watch because without the rider, this horse ran off to the lead, made a big move down the back stretch to take the lead and was actually battling with the winner to the finish line and actually got passed by the winner and then came back and fended that one off and crossed the wire first. Again, minus 119 pounds. So you maybe take that with a grain of salt. But I mean, 
this is clearly a horse that, you know, they they wanted to get on turf last year and then the winter came and they ran out of turf opportunities. But I mean, what I really liked watching back that performance was that this is a horse that just moved differently over the turf. It looked like just physically he really took to it. Um, and since then, I mean, he was a horse that couldn't get out of his own way when he tried the turf in that race. I mean, he was had run terribly in his surrounding races. But since then, especially since the addition of Lasix, he has just completely turned his form around recently on the dirt. And he's running races that are like 40, 50 buyer points better than what he was back then. And as soon as turf season returns now, they immediately put him back on the turf. And he's coming off some of the best races of his career. And I think he's going to fly under the radar here because there are a lot of other horses with turf form and some recent turf form that I think are going to take a lot more money. Um, so I think I'm going to get somewhere near that 15 to 1 morning line. And I've kind of been waiting for this horse to get back in this situation. Wow. Cam Duke uh, looking looking really good. Uh that that's that's a great angle and those three races the last three races on dirt are really good chris where do you uh where'd you land here well david sort of stole that horse um <laughs> and the angle um but uh there's another one i like quite a bit so i'll go i'll go with that one um as my pick but i definitely for all the reasons david stated think cam duke's really interesting the the other horse I like is the four horse King Moon Racer. Um, you know, one of the things I like to do in the uh, you know these Belmont early meet is you've got a lot of horses that are coming off layoffs or second off layoff, and I I like to first of all you know obviously see how the trainers typically do, especially at the surface and distance. So in this case, turf sprinting. You know, when they bring turf sprinters back off layoffs, how how do they do typically? And then even more importantly, I like to look at the horse, especially if they're a four-year-old or older, and see, you know, last year, did what did they do when they came back? Did they come back running? Did they need a race? Um, and in, in the case of King Moon Racer last year, the best race it ran was right off the bench in its first start of the year at Belmont sprinting on the turf. And the trainer, George Weaver's pretty good, bringing him back off layoffs, sprinting on the turf. And the horse shows a fast gate workout last week, which tells me, you know, from an intent standpoint, they really mean business. They wanted this horse sharp and got that gate work. And um, so everything to me says the horse is, you know, all systems go. Uh, some other things about it. Um, it's fast races are fast enough to win. So that's always important and, and potentially could improve as a five-year-old. Uh, the other thing that uh, it also probably likes uh, maybe seven furlongs better than six, but I think it's done well at six furlongs. So I'm not too worried about that, especially fact it's coming in fresh and it's all, it had the gate work. But he, at a little bit longer, might be better. But anything shorter than six furlongs, I, I think, kind of works against this horse. And if you look at um, the form last year, it did not win. It ran that big race off the bench and got beat in neck. But I think it has excuses in all its other starts. I mean, just starting with its most recent one, which is back uh, at Aqueduct, that was a route. And, and I think the horse is clearly better sprinting. The one before that was off the turf, so it was on the dirt. Again, obvious excuse. The couple of starts 
the other three starts were all at Saratoga, I think going too short. And two of those, it really had some problems from a trip standpoint. So to me, the form's really muddled up and that's why you might get a price in here. So, you know, it's, it looks like a horse that is ready to fire, capable of winning and, and the form's kind of dirtied up from last year. So you're going to get a good price. So that one along with David's horse and one other are the, the ones I'm interested in uh, in this race where I think, um, you know, there's, there's a chance to, to really make a score. This is definitely the best race from a betting standpoint, in my opinion. Right. I did use King Moon Racer uh, for the same reasons as you mentioned, Chris. The horse I put on top, though, was a similar horse, and that is Athenry. Can run off the layoff and did, did run well last year off the layoff. Just missed last year um, at twenty-eight to one off the laugh. This time will be a lower price. It's five to one on the morning line, um, but I, I don't see any reason why this horse won't run well. And um, I think it is a must include. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think the cases you make for those two horses are are solid, and, and they, especially in the case of King Moon Racer, should be a decent price in here. Um, I think so. I mean, I like that long shot, uh, Cam Duke, and looking beyond him, I think you know he's my big price, and I think there's one logical horse that I, I think is going to be really tough to beat in this race, and that's the number seven twenty six Black, uh, who I know on speed figures maybe doesn't look that formidable. Uh, but his last race was really good. Uh, he was kind of, you know, the, the, the trouble line or the comment line, I should say, doesn't really capture this, but I mean, he was locked in, in behind horses with a ton of horse and just nowhere to go for almost the entire stretch until like the last eighth of a mile when he got loose. And as soon as he found daylight, he ran by those horses. And what's really impressive is if you watch the gallop out, it's like he just hit his best stride at the wire and then opens up like five lengths on the field after the wire. I mean, you could barely pull him up. Um, this is a horse that uh, I think ran a lot better than it looks last time and that's also a race that might be a little underrated from a speed figure standpoint the third place finisher came back to win last week and we've seen some other runbacks out of that race even in an off the turf race on the dirt that horses improved their speed figures um so he i think 26 black is a is a good horse and i think he's the most likely winner of this race and i wouldn't even say it's that close um so i mean he's of the logical horses He's the one that that uh, I, I'm most afraid of, and I, I definitely need to use in this sequence. Um, I just think Cam Duke is going to offer such great value that um, I put him on top. But um, I, I didn't I didn't get interested in that many horses in this race. I was kind of able to narrow this one down more. I'll tell you one horse that I really don't like, and that is Haymack. It's Jack, who will be the favorite. He's not quite as fast as the top two picks that I picked, and uh, he's carrying 125 pounds and he'll be the favorite with Irad. Uh, I think there's value going against him. Yeah. The other horse I, I was interested in was 26 black. And like you said, his last race, you, you described really well, but if you actually go and look at his, his other start, he broke right on the lead. And then it was really weird. I mean, after like a quarter of a mile, the rider just grabbed the horse and just strangled it to the to the back of the pack, almost like it was stiffed. But, you know, maybe something else was going on. I don't want to imply there was nefarious intent. But, I mean, just jerked the horse to the back of the pack, and then he came on again 
in the stretch. I mean, it, it just was really weird. And the horse has a lot of speed. Um, um, it showed in there. So, and then you, you already described its other trips. So, yeah, I think, you know, whether the numbers are right or wrong, I don't think they tell the story at all in those first two starts. So that horse could be any kind. Um, you know, I, you had it at four to one, which surprised me given the speed figures. Um, so I'm not sure, you know, where, what was led you to make the price so low. But I, I was a little surprised I, when I, when I looked at this before the morning line came out, I thought that horse might be value four to one. Maybe it's still value, but uh, not, I was expecting you know, like six to one or higher on the morning line. Yeah, the, the players are really smart in New York, and I feel like they're going to see everything that we just described on 26 Black. I mean, they did last time when he looked slow on paper and they bet him down to five to two. Uh, things things like this don't get by the New York players. I mean, the, these obvious angles. So um, I, I feel like he's going to take money in this race. And some of the other horses, like you said, they've run faster speed figures. Their form is questionable, and this horse is coming off a really good effort. And, you know, the betters tend to go with those types more. Um, you know, I, I think he's I still think he's the most likely winner of this race. So to me, four to one is probably a good price on him. Um, but I was kind of trying to keep all of that in mind when I set the line for this race. Um, and I'll just throw out one more horse. Like I said, I don't want to spread too much in this race. But, you know, one more price horse that I would just mention is the number three power attack, who is another three year old in this field um, coming off a layoff. But another one who's light on speed figures, but keep in mind, those are all two-year-old numbers and horses can really move forward from their two-year-olds to three-year-old seasons. And he faced some really good horses last year. I thought ran well in that now, now, now stakes won by Web Slinger, who's certainly done some good things this year. Um, and then, uh, you know, obviously didn't end his season on the right note in the futurity, but I, I watched on, on XBTV, you know, they weren't the recent workouts, but, uh, you know, one of his workouts at Palmetto's over the winter, and he just looks like a horse that's really filled out and, and, you know, it just seems like he's grown up into himself. Um, and the fact that they're reaching out for Joel Rosario off the layoff for a low-profile barn, it, it, it might suggest that this horse is well-meant in this spot. And he gets Lasix for the first time. And it may or may not mean anything. I think he does get first Lasix. I think he's not. he's not using Lasix in this race, which is an interesting choice. That's Interesting. He's yeah, one for one at Belmont. One for one at Belmont. It doesn't look like. Yeah, I wonder why. Yeah, they're not using Lasix on him. Interesting. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's that's a nice that's a nice angle. I didn't notice that that horse ran pretty fast as a two year old power attack, and um, his trainer yeah, can win off a layoff. Yeah, and like David said, I mean, he's racing against horses like Sharp as Attack and Web Slinger. Those are good horses. In that Web Slinger race, he was trying to go a mile. So, yeah, that's an interesting one. Okay, well, um, I guess the this is the time when we 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 talk about vulnerable favorites. If if we want to make this a regular feature. Um, any vulnerable favorites that you think we should be going against in this in this sequence? Should I go first? Uh, sure, sure, go ahead. Go first. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I'm kind of like reviewing here. I mean, I guess so. There are two that stick out to me. Um, you know, the, the one that I probably already kind of gave the strongest argument against would be in that seventh race, uh, Your Mission, who to me just has all the hallmarks of a horse that's going to take a lot of money. Um, you know, fast speed figures in a race with not a lot of turf experience. I read Ortiz and, um, you know, Looking at some stats, I mean, Jorge Abreu just does not have good numbers coming off layoffs like this. And so, like I said, visually, just this horse's races are not appealing to me. So in a wide open race where he could be the one that's on everybody's tickets, he's not on my ticket. Chris, what do you got? Yeah, I'm looking. I'm trying to balance off, you know, uh, and do I want to like Bishop's Bay is probably the most solid of them and one I'm least anxious to bet against, but he could be the shortest price of the bunch. So, and I, and I do kind of like Archangelo in there and uh, Warren's Warren point is another one. Um, you know, he's probably the second strongest, but he could get bet down. So I, I both of those, you know, I respect them, but I don't think they're invincible. But in terms of just, you know, a a bad favorite, I kind of agree that in that with David, and I probably would go against your mission in the seventh, but I don't know if he's going to, like I already made the case for why but get, beating him isn't that great in the pick five. So I guess I'll go against the hey Mackett's Jack in the last race. That would be the weakest. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna echo I already said it before, but uh Hey Mackett's Jack to me is the horse you want to bet against for sure. Uh the other ones, you know, I'm not as eager to bet against, but um you know if we can beat, you know, if you can beat favorites, great. And um, I, I think that I think that you really have an opportunity in the eighth race to go against Haymack. It's Jack. Uh, it's just uh, <clears throat> that that horse just seems like likely to be overbet to me and um, likely not to win. And some live price horses, I think too. That's that's the race where, and to me, uh, what I'm going to do is. I'm going to key King Moon Racer and Cam Duke. I'm going to try to crush that race and just in the verticals. So, you know, and, and I'll, I'll definitely use 26 black and hope he doesn't get too overbet and that those horse players aren't too sharp. And I'll use at, at Henry or at Henry that, um, Scott liked and a few others like power attack, but I'm going to try to crush that race. That's the race I think has the biggest opportunity in the verticals is that that eighth race. Yeah, I think we're kind of on the same page about that part of it, that, you know, as we go through these these races, I the horses that I like the most are in that eighth race. And, and for me, it would be the three, seven and the eight. And, you know, maybe maybe that's an even stronger case for why Haymack it's Jack is is such a vulnerable favor because we all have strong opinions against, you know, about other horses in this race. So we just put him in the winner's circle. <laughs> 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 yeah and so you know it's a tough sequence you know that first leg makes it really tough um because none of those horses will be a price and there's four or five contenders and then you know uh 
can you beat Warren Point and and Bishop's Bay could easily win both those legs. Um, I think they could lose too, but wouldn't be a shock to see them win those. So those first three legs, you know, could be uh, pretty much suck most of the value out. So you almost have to, I think, uh, be aggressive in the last two legs if you're going to play the pick five, or maybe just better off not trying to play the pick five and just focus on the last two legs. And that's probably where I'll put my most my money mostly in the eighth race. But I'll probably try to connect, you know, a home go for a home run in like the doubles or maybe in the pick threes leading into that because there's potential for some really big prices in the race right before that. So you could have, you know, some really big payouts going into that eighth race. Yeah, I mean, I'll just put it out there. I know that when we were kind of chatting before doing this podcast, I I, I maybe steered us a little bit in the direction of this mandatory sequence four through eight. Um, I As I handicapped the whole card, I actually prefer the late pick five, seven through 11. Uh, you know, I, I, I like the last few races better than the first few in this sequence in terms of ticket construction. So I find myself gravitating more towards wanting to play, you know, the, the sequence that begins in race seven, as opposed to, you know, this one that begins in race four. But, uh, you know, my opinions about all of that, you can access on, on the Naira.com website. So I'll just give my, my shameless plug for that. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> well, I was going to ask if we have any spot plays. So maybe this is your opportunity spot play on the card maybe you uh, want to give out one of those horses david yeah i mean in the in the ninth race uh the the run happy uh i like the number one drafted quite a bit uh just think it's not the strongest sprint stakes and he's the kind of horse that when he gets in a spot like this these are the races that he wins uh it seems like there's enough pace for him and you know i i don't know if he's gonna be favored or not uh, i think he's gonna be somewhere in that five to two to three to one range but i think he's he's the most likely winner of this race um so he's the kind of horse i'd want to lean on a little bit in a in the late sequence uh, um, so I'd, I'd throw him out there and then, you know, I, the, the 10th and 11th races look, uh, the 10th is a little more formful in the 11th. Um, I think that there are some interesting price horses in there. It's kind of another one of those chaotic, uh, maiden $40,000 New York bread races. Uh, this one's for the females, but uh, a similar kind of race to race seven. Okay. Well, it was fun handicapping that sequence, and I would like to thank our guest, David Aragona. David, thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule to speak with us. Thanks for having me on. This was a lot of fun. All right. That will conclude show number 225 of the Sport of Kings pod. Good luck at Belmont and wherever else you play, and please enjoy the Brooklyn Boogaloo Blowout. I'll see you on Sport of Kings. Cheers. Get it up.